Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And Brett, I guess in terms of Arizona news, there isn't a ton to talk about. It's like not breaking like huge things that have gone on with any, but there is one thing we do want to touch on. Uh, reports came out. We're recording this on Wednesday, the 26th. Reports came out yesterday on the 25th that Lute Olson is in hospice care. Um, I guess... Without getting too far into the weeds on this, obviously we all care about Lute Olson. I mean, Lute Olson is Arizona basketball. He's basically the University of Arizona. The program would not be what it is without him, and we're definitely hoping for the best for the Silver Fox. Yeah, I think I, I think all Wildcat fans and ourselves included are uh, you know wishing nothing but the best for Lute Olson and his family right now. And obviously, when you go into hospice care, that it's you know it's a it's a more of a comfort thing than anything, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, hopefully, he's, we we all still have some time to uh, appreciate Lute Olson, and there'll be another day for our fondest memories. But you know, we're thinking about yeah. Lute Olson and the family. Yeah, hopefully, down far down the road is when we'll have that conversation. We want him to get better, right? It's that's just kind of where it's at right now. So we're thinking of Lute Olson, we're thinking of the Olson family, and everyone who I mean, he's so beloved in the community. <laughs> he's got his tree extends so far beyond just his immediate family too so the wildcat nation right now everybody who even cares about the wildcats has been a part of the university of arizona that everyone's thinking about lute olson and hoping for the best right now hoping that he can beat whatever he's dealing with and we'll see him back you know in the stands when arizona takes the court once again because even once he was no longer the head coach we'd see him in the stands cheering on the wildcats and going to games and making his presence felt because again lute olson is arizona basketball yeah, but Hope, hoping the best. Yep. So hopefully we have more. We'll have good news on that front in next week's show. But Brett, moving to something that's happened for Arizona basketball this season, I guess it's not. The question is, when will this season begin? Right. We know that the NCAA or the Pac-12 said no sports until January one, but a lot of people realize that they may have been jumping the gun a little bit when it came to basketball on that one, just because it's a little bit easier to bubble basketball and also. Basketball season, unlike football season, was not supposed to start this week, right? So, you know, there's thoughts that maybe basketball can start a little bit sooner. We'll see what the Pac-12 does. The NCAA, anyway, uh, seeing this on AZ Desert Swarm, uh, is looking at a few different start dates for, like, potential start dates for the college basketball season. They have September 29th would be the first practice, and November 10th for one option. Uh, First practice, October 9th, first day of the season, November 20th for another option. Uh, an October 14th practice start, November 25th, first day of the season for what, another one. And then the final one would be start practices on October 24th. Start day of the season would be December 4th. Now, obviously, every one of those is before January 1. But it gives the idea that basketball, I guess there seems to be more of a light at the end of the tunnel for basketball than there was for football. And it makes sense to me. Yeah, and I, I think you're you're right in the sense that it's, you know, you have 
12 to 15 players and a handful of coach and staff, it's a lot easier to control, you know, remove a lot of variables compared to 100 players and 50 staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, even if you, you know, that, like I think we've talked about in the past pods that there's even times when at the mid-semester break, there's usually basketball games going on when there's not player p- students on campus, which can kind of sidestep some of the how can you have basketball players on campus and not other people. But there's there's a lot of interesting things going on there. Um, and so it seems like there's positive developments on that. There's still no clear clear plan deline- delineated yet. Easy for me to say. Um <laughs> But also, I th- you know, there was news today uh, around uh, the development of a relatively cheap, rapid test that's accurate that doesn't require lab results, which if you're a fan of sports and want to see it happen as soon as possible, like you and I are, that can really be a game changer, assuming they can get the, you know, the production up to snuff, if not for football, you know, pr- potentially for, for basketball, sure. just because the head count is so much lower to, to require that many tests, right? Yeah, uh, but I think it was like ninety-seven percent accuracy for five dollars a test within fifteen minutes. Like that's Dexter the kind Dog. of, you know, game changer uh, testing system that can really move the needle on uh, people that want to see sports. Yeah, and, and that's where it's at. Where everyone wondered when the Pac-12 decided to cancel things until January first, and they were looking at maybe a spring football season. A lot of people thought, well, what's going to change in the spring? Right. That's what's going to be different in say, January, February, March, compared to August, September, October. And it's something like this, potentially at least tests, right? If you can test quickly and cheaply, you can know who has it and who doesn't. And if you don't have COVID, you can't give it to someone else. So if you can test your basketball teams and everyone who would be on the floor, coaches and team and players, in a 15-minute thing at 5 bucks a test, it's obviously still not going to be cheap, but it's going to be a lot cheaper than what it is right now. And the rapid test part is the most intriguing thing. If you can find out in 15 minutes, do you have COVID or do you not? Well, in pregame, guys get to the arena, you have them, you test all of them, done. And let's see, let's so let's say, I mean, they probably test what 12 players, 13 players. So at five bucks a test, that's fifty, sixty-five dollars. Well, count, it, I mean, count the staff. And yeah, so we'll say like hundred dollars. We'll say a hundred dollars a game then to test your team is what it could come out to, and that's probably a little bit. That's probably a little bit high right? It's doable, you know, for two games a week, if that's what it is. So for basketball, especially like football, that's a little bit tougher. So because there's so many people, it does get really expensive, but yeah, this is a type of thing where if it works and they can produce enough, I mean, there's other areas that probably need these tests more than college sports. Let's not be, let's not pretend that college sports is the most important thing when it comes to getting rapid <laughs> tests out there. But if that can get taken care of, this is a type of game changer that would allow basketball to happen and allow a lot of things to happen, actually. Oh, I was going to say, I, you know, you can start having people going get tested before they want to go to a restaurant or attend a sporting event. And if you can actually, you know, if you can quickly get those kind of results with significantly high enough accuracy, it opens up the door to a lot of things. Um, then and, and it makes the risk of people not uh, observing personal responsibility a lot easier to isolate, right? Mm-hmm. So therefore, you don't need as much of a bubble, uh, or it doesn't need to be as hermetically sealed. You can actually, like, go see, if you're a player, you can go see your parents for a weekend and not uh, come back and have to isolate for two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a, it's it's still early, but, you know, 
let's all <laughs> we can we can we can make room for a little bit of optimism here in 2020. Um, and if this test doesn't work out, you know, there's obviously probably a bunch of things in development behind it. Yeah. Uh, and until there's a, a viable vaccine, the ability to test and trace more quickly is the next best thing to kind of keeping the virus under control. And if you want to see sports, that's a giant, giant step. Yeah, and and that's what it comes down to is, like, basketball, let's keep it on basketball. I mean, sports as a whole, I don't know if it helps getting fans in the building because you figure, you know, 14,000 fans on 15 minutes. I mean, that's they're not going to be able to do that, right? But they could do, like, a season ticket thing or, like, do a few hundred fans probably if it's worth it financially. I guess five bucks a fan to pay to get them in the building, their tickets are going to cost more than five bucks. So there's a way to do I, it. But this the, the fans, half the fans would probably pay for that themselves. That's true. And to be fair, like it's like I was thinking about even smaller gatherings like weddings or things like that. If you can cheaply <laughs> test for like 160, 170 people or for like a basketball game, let's say 500 people are allowed in the building, right? Like there's a way to do that. But more importantly, the players could know that they're safe. And these yeah. are the things that time could buy you. And, you know, these things have been in development, right? The NBA had their thing going in their bubble, and that was another test that I think it was like a couple of weeks ago came out. They're more quick. I think it was a saliva test that was approved that they invented, basically, or with help from the NBA was invented. And that's where you hope. Like, we, we definitely could use good news in these situations, right? Not just for sports, just for society as a whole. This is a good news thing. And what it does is, unlike football, we're all just like, yeah, we'll see, right? We'll see when football happens. Like some schools are still trying, some conferences are still trying to go ahead with it this weekend, right? There is some that are still trying to do a normal football season start time, whereas the Pac-12 is saying, let's look into January, which created its own set of issues. Based, like we already saw with U of A, the Schooler brothers transferring out because they want to play a fall football season, which we'll see if anyone gets to play a fall football season. But basketball, you're not hearing those troubles. You're not hearing about players saying, we're going to skip this. Like even makes it tough time. But I think the bigger thing, and we've talked about this before, was basketball players generally play year-round anyway. They don't take much of an offseason. So if the season did start late, it doesn't affect college basketball as much. And if things are as if you could still get your NCAA tournament, which is what people really care about, <laughs> you know, if you lose non-conference play, your conference schedule, or if they can start in late October or even you know early November, you can still basically play a full season. Maybe you'd have to adjust your schedules a little bit, but it's doable. So you don't like we're hearing recently like the European players, uh, Arizona's foreign players, recruits, their freshmen are making it to campus. And these are guys who could play overseas and make money, but they're still coming to college because they believe there's going to be a season. And news like this allows you to believe that, yes, there will actually be a season. Yeah, you got to feel much. I mean, we were already more optimistic about a basketball season than football and this, you know, all the all the news and uh, with the testing and the, the the delay in the season for all sports probably makes it easier to plan for basketball, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I feel moderately optimistic that you're going to get something that closely resembles a full basketball season at this point. Um, you know, maybe with a curtailed, uh, um, you know, non-conference season. But I think we'd all take a curtailed non-conference season. Uh, you know, a hundred times out of a hundred, if we, it means we can have something close to a full uh, normal season and then have March Madness in the spring. Yeah, for sure. And especially with basketball, like obviously Arizona is a basketball school and last season was exciting, disappointing, all those things and kind of left feeling empty, you know, cause I didn't get a chance to see what happened in March Madness. This next team 
and we talked about this before when the recruiting class is put together, you look at their roster, it's really intriguing. And that's not to say that we look at them and say they're going to be a top three team in the Pac-12, but there's a lot of new faces, a lot of players who are from overseas who were, you look at and you say, huh, that they, those kids can play. And it's a little bit different style Arizona basketball team that we're expecting this season. And the sooner we can see them on the court, the better we're going to feel. You know, because they're going to need that time to get together and gel and maybe learn the college game. But I, I know with football, it's hard to get ex- I mean, never mind. It's hard to get excited because it's Arizona and they're not supposed to be any good this year. But it's easier to get excited about basketball because it's easier to believe that there will be basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it that simple? I, I mean, I think it is. <laughs> like, realistically, I think that that, that it is. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll. We'll still see because there's still a long way between here and there. And, you know, uh, if you go back and look at everyone's optimistic COVID takes since, you know, (laughs) January, uh, those optimistic takes, the batting average for those are not very good. No. Um, So, you know, the the thing is that I think your point is right, that the the thing that time buys us is things like this, where you have, you know, the, the fact pattern changes, even if the disease hasn't. Right. Um, that should be a bumper so sticker. Makes... <laughs> the fact pattern changes even if the disease doesn't. That's a long bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, but bumpers are wide. There's room. <laughs> I'll let you market that one and invest the money in it. <laughs> as long as I get my cut if it makes money. Right. Um, <laughs> it won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, c- correct. You, you're, the, you're the money up front. I'm the idea man. Um, yeah, so, you know, it, we'll we'll see that it still relies on both universities, conferences, the NCAA, and that the difference also though between uh, college basketball and college football is that you know everybody's really talking in college football. They're talking the Power Five schools, right? Mm-hmm. In college basketball, then it becomes the question of you know part of what makes March Madness great is that it has the smaller conference, you know the cha- the, the the conference champion teams playing mm-hmm. in there out of how many hundred teams, right? And the at-large bids and everything that can happen too. And so there, there, you know, there's things, even if the $5 a test thing that is, everybody has everybody in a great mood right now, um, you know, it, let's assume that that's all true. Those costs you were talking about previously may not be something that a smaller private school is willing to do and, or half the teams in a conference are, are able to fund, right? You know, there's, there's still a, a lot of complications and maybe that means March Madness is a, you know, 36 team uh, or, you know, something something like that uh, instead of 68, right? Well, yeah, I, but, I think what you're trying to say, as I interrupt you and try to say it myself so I'll let you say it, is that <laughs> even if they start playing basketball, let's say two months from now or two and a half months from now, it may not be a normal season. Like, it'll be some version of a season, and we imagine that Arizona will be a part of it. But overall, nationally, it's everything. I mean, there's not going to be packed arenas or anything like that there's not going to be you know all the fans we're used to it there's i don't imagine there's gonna be players who jump ship to go to the nba ahead of time but it's just not going to be a normal season for a variety of factors but at least it would be a season yeah and as somebody that is developing an irrational exuberance over Kerr carissa i really want to see this (laughs) season happen because i i have a I just really want to watch that kid play the little bits I've seen of him and like seen his interviews. And I just, I'm a fan already. Well, there was a, like a highlight video that got tweeted about him, right? Or like a scouting video or something about him earlier in the week. And it's like, Oh, this kid's going to be fun. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd already watched some of the thing, some of the clips when he committed, and I was like, I, I, I don't know. I, I'd like to think my basketball experience gives me an eye for uh, knowing the nuances of what kind of separates a, a decent player from a potentially really good player, and I, 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 I have somewhat unbridled optimism with him as a player maybe not as a freshman but over time i think he's going to be maybe not a superstar but i think he's gonna be hella fun to watch so i want to see the season i'll I'll allow that um i guess if you want some other news just recruiting front arizona's in the top seven for demarco dunn so that's cool they've missed out on a couple of recruits nolan hickman uh, paulo bonchero those are a couple guys that they were in on they did not get but obviously that doesn't mean Arizona's going to be left empty-handed, although the interesting thing as they try to com- put together a 2020, uh, 2021 recruiting class is that there's not going to be probably as many like, roster spots available, <laughs> at least showing not as many as there were this past recruiting cycle. So Arizona, without knowing exactly who's – like before, most seasons you could go and say, okay, this guy's probably a one-and-done. I don't know if they have that feeling yet. With, I mean, they, how could they right now, right? You know you're going to lose a few players, but you don't know if you're going to lose any more than that. So when it comes to recruiting for Sean Miller, it's not a bad problem to have, but it's a different problem to have than what he's used to. Yeah, and I mean, I'm on the record as thinking that there's going to be at least two early departures and maybe one transfer to go along with Ira Lee graduating. So I think it's going to be a four-man class. I think Tabellis and I think one of Ben or Dale and Terry probably blow up, assuming there's a season. Um, but I think, yeah, it's even to fill those spots, if this team, the way the roster is built, you're not necessarily looking for guys to come in and have to be a surefire starter one and done kind of guy. Right. Right. Uh, that's the whole point of the roster was built for like guys are going to be here three, four years and develop. Uh, so, you know, it might change the type of player you're going after. Um, Paulo Banchero would have been a guy that's, you know, you he's getting started. He yeah. Well, yeah, you always say yes, but he's starting, right? Yep. <laughs> um, but like, there's some other guys that um, you know, maybe you can take a take a little more of a development type guy. Like, I think they have like Ryan Matumbo, Dikembe Matumbo's son. I think is one of those kind of raw athlete guys, like his father was. That's like a top 100 guy, but maybe isn't a starter right away, especially if you still have uh, God King Christian Coloco. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so. And it, and it may it may work out nicely if the NCAA sanctions come down for some time in the in the next year or so when you're filling out this class that so you don't have to Let's, fill four spots. Did you see like the report that came out? I think it was today on the 26th on Wednesday about Will Wade. How they're like the NCAA was like, yeah, we know you either gave the benefits or facilitated illegal improper benefits to players, which I was like, duh. Like of all the stuff that came out, even on uh, the scheme and everything, it's like Will Wade was the one, and the text messages and on on video being like, "Yep, I made him a strong ass offer." You know, like this is the guy. You're like, okay, of all the attention that has been paid to Arizona, and much of you know, some of it's deserved. I don't want to say much of it, but some of it is absolutely deserved. It feels like LSU and Will Wade have gotten off the hook pretty much in terms of maybe because like I get it, LSU is not Arizona when it comes to college basketball in terms of prestige. But come on, like, I don't want to give Mark Schlebach any credit. I think it was his article on ESPN. But like Will Wade pretty much seems like, yeah, this definitely happened. Whereas you can maybe if you want to, and I'm not saying Sean Miller is completely innocent, but if you want to make a case that he didn't know what was going on, you might be able to make that case for Miller based on what we know. You can't make that case with Will Wade. You just can't. Yeah, the, the, the difference is plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. 
when but in terms of you know what Sean Miller said and what Wade has said, it, it you know if you assume that what was in the the Dawkins documentary, if you want to call it that, is like the things that make those guys look th- as badly as possible, and leaves out anything that makes them look better. You know, I think that's the the differentiating factor. There is Will Wade is dumb enough to say strong, you know, the strong ass offer, and maybe there's like some weird punctuation, like you know, strong hyphen ass referring to a body part or something. And he's talking about like <laughs> offering, you know, offering still to spot isn't him cool. on deadlifts. I think, didn't uh, Patino get in front of that in, in trouble for that? <laughs> Wasn't that his Patino, issue? Patino and, offering and strong ass has a lot of problems. Like his strong ass offers, that was the issue for Louisville, wasn't it? Uh, uh, of many. <laughs> but, I think so, I think he I think he also was known to make strong ass tips in restaurants with his team around the corner in restaurants. But that is, I guess, the one thing. If there's a dark cloud, because you said, like, depending on what happens with sanctions and developmental prospects and everything for Arizona. Like, we still have to see. And it's almost like the fact that a season isn't starting in earnest right now has almost let you kind of forget about that. Right? It's like there's bigger issues. Never mind the fact that what if Arizona gets sanctioned? What if they have to miss the postseason? Well, first, let's have a season and let's see how that goes. But certainly, I guess, I think Dick Vitale, like three, every, every like three weeks ago and a month before then and a month before that has said, like, it's coming down for Arizona. It's going to happen, his sources say, and so far hasn't. So, I mean... To some degree, it's almost like you want whatever it's going to be, just let it happen, right? <laughs> you know, let it. So if Arizona has to appeal it, they have to fight it. At least let it be known what the NCAA wants to hand down to Arizona and Sean Miller, so that way they can respond or just deal with it in one manner or another. Like the nice thing is that this recruiting wise, obviously we saw the class probably to some degree was hampered by it, right? Like you have to think some of the recruits, like some of the more like the American players that they would normally be in on might have looked the other way because like, well, we don't know what's going to happen with your program. I'd rather go to a clean program like Duke, you know, like, <laughs> sorry, guys. that made me laugh. Were you, were you joking yes. intentionally? I, I, a little bit, <laughs> you know, but, but Arizona's Duke, obviously... Duke doesn't have to cheat, Adam. Don't you listen to their fans? <laughs> they just, <laughs> but, but obviously like, Arizona's in the headlines, Duke has also been the headlines just for some strange reason. ESPN doesn't cover it nearly as vehemently. Like They, they really like covering Arizona when Duke. I, I, who knows why that's the case? But like it's hurt. Like it's, it'd be impossible. I think it'd be disingenuous to say it hasn't hurt Arizona. It hasn't hurt Sean Miller in recruiting, right? Because there are certain well, players I, that he would normally be on I, that he didn't get. Well, Regardless of whether or not it hurt the players' perceptions, other schools were absolutely using it against Arizona on the recruiting trail, and we just don't know necessarily what that impact is. So, it's it's definitely a factor. And if we're if we're completely honest with ourselves, knowing that some type of sanctions are are almost assuredly coming to Arizona. Now, I I, I think you and I are both of the opinion that we have no, we would not be surprised by one extreme or the other in terms of how strong or lenient those sanctions no, neither are. Neither one of us are taking a real stand on this one. We, yeah, nothing would surprise like, us. I, I, I would be just as surprised if they got off with a relatively small um, penalty as it would be if they got a really harsh death penalty, you know, a strong ass kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like, I, I, but I think it'd be also be disingenuous of us to not acknowledge that I think Sean Miller is aware of that and builds a recruiting class that goes more overseas and goes for guys that if there's a postseason ban 
as part of this, if they plan to be here for three to four years, that doesn't matter as much, right? Uh, if you're looking at guys that are looking at more of the long term and develop, developing them to become NBA type talents and eventually get back to the the NCAA tournament, like I don't think I don't think the recruiting strategy shift uh, was in a vacuum. Uh, I think there's numerous factors. I think the one and done culture, the you know more players going overseas instead of going the college route, the G League all contribute to that. And I think for schools like Arizona, um, the looming cloud of potential sanctions just gives them another push in that direction. Yeah. And I think that that is reflected in the class. Yeah, and it's probably reflected in a lot of things for Arizona. Like, we don't know, like, unless a player comes out and says, I did not choose Arizona because of this. Like, we also know which players decommitted that were in line to play when the Book Richardson thing first came out. Like, we know which players were like, oh, never mind, I'm not going to touch Arizona now. But we won't know from here on out. But, obviously, Arizona got K.J. Simpson. They got the recruiting class they had last year, Nico Manion, Josh Green, Zeke Naji. The players they got this year, like, this is all under that cloud now of what could come down the pike for the program. So... I, I imagine Miller has been quite honest with everyone in terms of what he expects to happen because you obviously don't want to bring someone and say, oh, there's not going to be anything. We're going to be fine. And then all of a sudden, like, you get hit with sanctions. Like, well, like, it's out there, right? No one's going to show up at Arizona and be like, what are you talking about, Arizona and possible sanctions? Like, if you're a high school basketball player, you're aware of at least what's gone on by the media, and then you talk to Sean Miller, and if you believe his explanation and everything and you feel comfortable enough to go to the what? Go to Arizona? Cool. You know? Like, nothing should surprise you, but obviously, I think, Arizona, one way or another, will be better off when the NCAA does decide. But, hey, they might be closer for LSU now. They seem to have a pretty good mountain of evidence against Will Wade, so maybe LSU first. And then I guess the one thing I'd be wary of, and I know a lot of people, I forget who sanctions came down to already. There was one like a couple months ago. Was it, uh, was it Auburn or someone? I forget who I, I it thought was. There was a, I thought there was a couple, but now I'm, I'm blanking like, on the it. Ones that um, everybody, anytime one of them gets sanctioned, everybody's like, well, this is what to expect for Arizona. And the truth is, we don't know. Every situation where it was all under the umbrella of, you know, those trials and everything and the assistance that were all kind of at the same time, I imagine the punishments will be somewhat different because each situation is kind of unique, you know? So that's something to be mindful of, that whatever happens to LSU, assuming something will happen to LSU, may not be the blueprint for what happens to Arizona because the situations could be different in some real significant ways. Yeah, I think I was... Doing a quick search, I think Oklahoma State was one okay, of the ones Oklahoma that. State, yeah. But like Oklahoma State is a school that, in both basketball and football, is not exactly uh, notorious for running the cleanest program. No. Um, right. I mean, I've I've heard stories from you know second, third hand stories of like we lost football recruits because you know we didn't give them five hundred dollar handshakes. That 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 oil money is similar to that you know Nike money. You know, like it's it's abundant. I'm not is saying we're going to pay players. That, I'm just saying there's finances that help those schools. Well, there's a reason Oklahoma State's football stadium is shiny like Oregon's football facilities because I think it's T Boone Pickens, right? Yeah. Uh, like that guy's got a few dollars. Well, I think he passed away, so he doesn't have much anymore. He's 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 rich and he can't take it with him. I mean, the Egyptians believed you could, oh. so they they would bury you in you know with entomb you with all your possessions and stuff, but maybe, maybe. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that seems like a good time to end this segment. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we were talking about football there. We're actually going to get into some Wildcats football news right after this break. 
Okay, we're back. And Brett, I guess the good news for Arizona football, for pretty much any football program these days, is in a lot of ways no news, right? We're seeing reports from all these other schools that are having issues with their COVID testing, and all of a sudden people are back on campus and they have like a dozen players who test positive for COVID-19. It's like, and they got to shut things down. Was it Texas Tech had a huge outbreak, I think? And was it – which school was it that had like the – I think the defensive line was it – I think that's LSU. Was that LSU. They're like, they're not going to say which positions it was, but it's an entire position group and they need that position group to play football. <laughs> like, the yeah, I think, was I think it was LSU had a couple of people test positive and then they like, that was after they were already like interacting. So they're, they're in quarantine and it's like, this, this is the problem of not having rapid tests, right? Right. Um, it's because if you, if you don't have the ability to rapidly test, you have to kind of shut it down right yeah a little less than a week ago on friday arizona announced that they had 169 athletes and 89 staff members tested and a total of six tested positive for COVID 19 which is a pretty good percentage for the school and obviously if they can isolate that and make sure it doesn't spread then this could work but obviously once students start going back to campus you see all the pictures and the reports about all the parties that are happening and all the get-togethers which i guess if none of them have COVID, it's not a problem but obviously the odds of none of them having COVID seems fairly slim. But this was always the problem with bringing kids back to campus to expect them to. And I don't I don't blame them. I want to be like, come on, kids. Like, what are you doing? You're ruining this for all of us. But we were that age. You're at college. You're off on your own. You want to party. You want to do college things, all the things you've heard of and dreamt of doing when you got to college. And you're probably not worried about a virus that I guess, I mean, presentially is not likely to kill you. And in a lot of ways, it's not likely to even affect you all that much. So you're just going to go about your life. I mean, the early days of college, you know, your freshman year and everything, like it was all just like, hey, look at me. So I get it. But that's also the context with which we all say this may not work. I mean, let's look at how nationally people over the age of 30 and 40 years old struggle to follow distancing guidelines then let's take away all those years of wisdom and <laughs> learned uh, knowledge about risk and applying and rewinding that to an 18 and 19 year old and see how well that goes. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully it's Arizona had done really well with our athletics program with bringing people back slowly and the tests and the numbers were always really, really low. But obviously as students, they're now back on campus and they're trying to do some on campus learning. We'll see. You know, because the athletes, the student athletes are part of that student population as well. And they might be taking really good care of themselves when they're within the program and doing all that. But they also go to class. They're also amongst these other students who may not be taking those precautions. So we'll hope for the best. But this is also why football seems like a tough sell, especially when there are students on campus. Anyway, there was some recruiting news. Arizona got a linebacker, a running back linebacker, James Bowles from California. He's a three-star guy. Replaces Cole Batston, who decommitted and then and decided to go to Boston College. So I guess good for him. Boston College is a nice school. But Arizona got this guy, Bowles, who has good size. Seems like he could fit in there. Maybe a project guy. He's dealt with some injuries as a running back, but I think Arizona's looking at him as a linebacker, which makes sense because, as we've talked about now a few different times on this show, Arizona's going to need linebackers. Yeah, I think the, you kind of gave up. Uh, I mean, he comes from the same school as Cole Batson, and then he 
then James Bowles comes in and fills his role. And I think Bowles talked about how he kind of knew that was happening. And then the offer came in as he wanted Bowles to go to Arizona. Just, and they're like, yeah. there's no room for him with Batston. And then he's like, oh, wait, once he did me, like, I was like, okay, we'll, we'll happily take you now. Yeah. And so the interesting thing is, I think Bowles uh, is generally rated as a running back, but it was rated higher, I think, by a lot of the um, recruiting services, uh, just by like a, a nominal amount compared to Batson. Um, you know, he's a little s- smaller in terms of uh, height and length, kind of. But I, I'm pretty darn intrigued with him if they're going to bring him in as a linebacker, given that the guy has like sprinter speed where he like competes in track. And if you're a guy that has the size to play linebacker, even if it means you have to put on, you know, 10 or 20 pounds, and even if you sacrifice, you know, 5% of your speed, I think I was reading somewhere that he was running like, you know, close to sub 11 second, 100 meter dashes. Like, you know, people people don't realize the, the, the marginal difference between like an Olympic athlete getting under 10 seconds and like a high school kid getting at like around 11. Like that's really, really fast. Yeah. And if you're at somebody that size and if you have that kind of, if you have like football IQ and that, that raw athletic ability and, and that kind of acceleration. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it, it kind of, you replace one one intriguing guy with another intriguing guy for maybe slightly different reasons, but boy, you know, you put him as maybe like a middle linebacker where you need to go sideline to sideline with that kind of speed. That you know, that's a guy that might be able to play early if he uh, if he can get coached up right. It's another prospect to add to that group, and we had Michael Lev on last week. He talked about some of the prospects Arizona has at linebacker, not in lieu of losing Colin Schooler and Tony Fields. But Bowles had offers from Boise State, Colorado State, Hawaii, and San Diego State. The interesting thing to me was that he wanted the Arizona offer. You know, like, and I don't know enough about I me. Mean, that, that intrigues me. It seems less likely to decommit at any point when he's like, I wanted to go to Arizona. They just didn't have any room for me, and then they opened up a spot, and he jumped on it. Like, that, that's cool. And for whatever reason, Arizona was the place he wanted to be. And those are some decent offers that he had. This wasn't Arizona beating some lesser schools. I mean, Boise State, a lot of people think they're better than Arizona. You know, Hawaii beat Arizona last year. They're going to play this year. San Diego State isn't bad. So it seems like a good get at a position of need. We were going to play Hawaii in three days, Adam. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that was going to happen. It would be Todd Graham returning to Tucson. Oh, man, the headset would have been back. It would have been. <laughs> the, the Britney Spears headset. <laughs> it's a pity um, that, that, won't, that won't make its return. Well, and, and you, as you said, I think um, Bowles being somebody that wanted to commit to Arizona and Batson being somebody that, you know, switched. You know, I don't fault the kid, and especially going to a, a solid educational school mm-hmm. like Boston College. You know, if they're, I'm sure he has reasons beyond just football that he wanted to go out there. Um so I don't fault the kid at all, but I do think this might be a good small, very, very small sample case study of my theory of players that uh, decommit and switch schools tend to underperform compared to the people that, you know, decide who's the right fit for them. Yeah. Because if you believe if you believe Bulls that he was looking for Arizona the whole time and he's going to stay to it, considering they're, you know, all else being equal in terms of recruiting rankings, they're basically, you know, the same kind of talent level according to the recruiting services if you believe them so it'll be interesting to watch how their careers play out it will be so i guess we need to what did i say put a pin in this one and then like three years from now four years from now we'll go back and look at their respective careers and see how they how they panned out if they did pan out for either of their schools is that how we know if I mean, your theory could be 
I'm I'm confident we'll know how James Bowles' career worked out. We might need to set a reminder in your uh, in your Google calendar for three years from now to <laughs> Google search Cole Batson Boston College. Right. Um, one other thing too, I guess this kind of is related to Bowles' commitment is Arizona like the NCAA approved a free year of eligibility for fall athletes, which includes football. So, and of course, what happens if they do play a spring season? I guess there's a lot of things. There's a lot of moving parts here. But it seems like Arizona, or Arizona, like the country and Arizona being one of the schools, we also have to worry about losing eligibility for guys just because they have a year of school under their belt. Of course, that then creates a roster issue where how do you build a roster with that extra recruiting class? You know, like the roster could be quite large, which will be interesting too for recruiting because obviously if Arizona. And I was seeing. I wrote a thing for AZ Desert Swarm last week about Arizona keeping their recruiting class. And the one one of the comments was kind of how Arizona might be in a better position to lure some of the top prospects because they'll have open spots. They'll have room yep. on their team, like at linebacker on the defensive line, and all these positions where these bigger, bigger programs, these better programs, are just going to have these stacked rosters. And it's like you're not going to go there. You're not definitely not going to play there at all. <laughs> if you wanted to go there. So this could be advantageous for Arizona, but obviously we have to see because there's just so much we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if they expand uh, scholarship limits and roster sizes due to this. That's one way for Arizona to finally get some damn depth, <laughs> expand the roster by 30% <laughs> with scholarship guys. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. And I think we talked about that with, with Lev as well, right? Where it was like, you know, I don't know if they're in on any like mid-year uh, high school graduates that are like, you know, ready to play freshman middle linebackers. But, you know, if I was one of them, it'd be like, hey, if I want to play, if there's going to be a spring season, I might be able to jump in and play at a power five school, you know, in January. And I'm a high school kid right now in August. And that's something that we don't know. I think the thought is maybe they'd let them, you know, practice with the teams. But would they be eligible to play a spring season if they're a mid-year enrollee? Like, we don't know. But yeah, we don't. The NCAA will definitely have to figure this out. And the, the other strange thing is, like, if a few conferences do play a fall season and then the rest of the conferences play, like, a winter or spring season, how do they – I think I saw that the NCAA put out their college football playoff schedule. And I'm just like, <laughs> right. You know, with, with like, the four conferences that are going to try to make this happen, like, good luck with that. But we'll see. Like, and that's, I mean – I mean, I still have my wedding invites out for uh, a week from tomorrow, but that ain't happening. Right. So, I, 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 good to know that because I guess I need to go cancel, cancel your tribal plans. Yeah, I, I guess I need to do that now. But I, it's weird because you want to be able to be like, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to work out for Arizona. But there's so much unknown where you just can't. You know, we can speculate. We can talk about what's out there. But that's the best we can do. We're going to take one more break, Brett, and we come back. The Pac-12 had some well, some bad news this week, and the news, while bad, certainly leads to some other thoughts on the conference as a whole. So let's talk about that after this break. So, Brett, the Pac-12, it's no one would ever accuse them of having great leadership, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I did last week, I went back and listened, I did compliment Larry Scott for how he's handled the COVID-19 stuff, but other than that, his tenure atop the conference has not exactly been one that has been smooth sailing, shall we say. Um, th- today, on Wednesday, it was announced that the Pac-12 Network, which on its own is just, it struggles. Like, they let Mike Yam go a couple weeks ago. He's great. And they let him go. Oh. He's really talented. They laid off basically their entire digital staff and so many in-house people uh, on Wednesday. And it's just, 
Like the Pac-12 network wasn't a great network, but it's certainly not a good look to see what they're doing, especially when they seem to be wasting money in a lot of other areas. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know if you, I, I don't know if you saw the details with the digital staff. I, I thought I saw somewhere that it was also like even the people that run like the app, right? Yeah. Um, and development of that, which it's like, shouldn't you be like? Wouldn't the better play be to not try to get distribution on things and just go whole hog on the app and get yourself on like you know, on Chromecast apps and and app you know the App Store and Apple TV and that way you can just bypass the the you know the Direct TVs of the world. Sure. But or you know, or you know, cut all the people that develop that app because that's <laughs> that's another way to go. And like that, um, the layoffs, the furloughs, like the Pac-12 network, it's it's hurting. Like it's hurting well, bad. And, and meanwhile, Larry Scott's still pulling, what, $5 million a year, and you're paying office space that he insisted on opening in San Francisco, one of, if not the most expensive office space markets. Um, you know, you could, I think previously they were out somewhere in one of the burbs in California, right? I think so, um, yeah. And, like, you know, you see it all over Twitter and all over the boards where people are like, why, what, I mean, people have been saying that for years. Why are you wasting that much money on real estate, right? When it has, like, what, what has it gotten you exactly? <laughs> like, um, they have a nice office set up in San Francisco. I've seen it. Like, I'm able to take yeah. a tour of it. It's a nice place, but, but also, to what ends? yeah. Well, like, what's the, you could make that nice space in a lot cheaper areas. Like, there's no reason to be in the San Francisco area. Like, you're closest to it, what, Stanford, who is not exactly, it, uh, I mean, has it helped? Base. Has it helped make uh, distribution deals nope. happen by being proxim- proximate to these things? Has it helped you get more funding from, you know, angel investors when you're trying to get bailed out? Has it helped you with recruiting to the point where it makes your conference succeed overall or the channel succeed? I don't think any of the, the answer to any of those is yes. So that's clearly like a waste of money, uh, along with you know Larry Scott's bloated salary. Well, it's almost like um, his bloated ego is what allowed it to happen, right? Like, if you say, if you think, you're like, oh, we can spend this much on our space, like, why would we want to be somewhere cheaper? We want the super fancy one in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley because we're the Pac-12 and we can do it. Which, well, to be fair, to be fair, at some point, the, bl- the blame shifts slowly from Larry Scott alone to the university presidents and chancellors that yeah. keep, keep him in place. And our friends up uh, in Tempe, I'm pretty sure Michael Crow is one of those biggest defenders of uh, Larry Scott. So you know, mand- mandatory dig at our our rival, but I think for <laughs> a fair reason. Yeah, that's um, reasonable. You know, because you could you know you could put those offices almost anywhere. You could put them in Vegas. You could put them in Phoenix. You could put them in just a cheaper part of California. Somewhere, you know, there's a, a multitude of options, and you could. It's not just the office space, but you have to pay those guys. Like all those guys at Pac-12 Network. I mean, you're you've worked in sports media before. It's not like uh, most of the people that make those operations go are making a lot of money. No. And to try to get a livable wage in San Francisco, in sports media, like at a struggling network, I I'm sure it did not help attract the top talent. Oh. Um, and even the talent you did have that was great, like Mike Yam, you let go because you can't afford it. And it's almost like the Pac-12 network, you can, like, these layoffs, these furloughs are happening. Like, I get a lot of companies are having those issues right now, right? But if the Pac-12 network had been better, 
since its inception, maybe this wouldn't be an issue. If they had better TV deals, if they were on more channels, if they were on direct TV and other and other options, you know, making that money, and if they had better programming and selling commercials, like how many times do you watch a Pac-12 network a game and it's mostly Pac-12 network commercials? Like you get a couple local things, maybe a gas station, and then it's a Pac-12 network ad. Like it's just not a great network. Now, I like it because I get to watch games, you know, but and like right now you can't blame them for not having live sports because there aren't any live sports. But even during the seasons, like they it's like they tried, but they just weren't that good of a network. No, I don't watch like the SEC network or those other ones or the Big Ten. Or I, I don't watch those networks, so I don't really know exactly what they have, but I know that their TV deals are better. I know that they have enough programming and a desire, like they're a desirable network, and maybe that's not the Pac-12 network's fault. Maybe that's just the Pac-12. East Coast fans aren't exactly staying up late to watch games that start at 10 o'clock their time, you know, the Oregon games or whatever. Arizona games start at 8 o'clock Arizona time at 11 o'clock East Coast. Like, they're not staying up to watch those games, so you're at an inherent disadvantage there. But Larry Scott and the people in charge have not been creative enough to figure out a way around that. And it leaves you in a situation now where, I don't think we've seen reports of other networks laying off so much staff, but the Pac-12 has had to because of all the things you mentioned, the salaries, the location, and then you add the fact that it's just not a very good network, and here you are. Yeah, I mean, I think in hindsight, it's easier to say if Larry Scott was the visionary that he sold himself as, he would have just bypassed the TV channels and gone straight to, I'm going to get on... Uh, digital platforms and be an entirely streaming app that's pay $5 a month and you get access to everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's complications around that, but that's where the world was already heading and now it's basically there. And now, he, you know, at this point, what what is even a reasonable direct TV deal to try to get more revenue and visibility for the network worth anyway and right and then like they laid off 88 pac 12 staffers like today which we've we hurt for them like that's never fun i've been there like it it stinks especially when you have a job that you liked that you're good at and just to lose it and maybe they expected it to happen you know maybe they read the tea leaves i i don't imagine it was sudden for all of them but let's say i mean let's say pac 12 sports do start up again let's say january 1 there's sports again what kind of staff is this network gonna have what kind of content are they going to be pushing out? What kind of quality are we going to expect from them? Like, it's probably not going to be that great with a bunch of people who are just learning the job. You know, they're probably going to pay them a lot less than what they're paying the other people. And you can't, you can't, you were talking about the cost of living in the Bay Area. You can't pay people to do these jobs. You can't pay them like $30,000 a year and expect them to actually take that job and live off of it. You know, like, I don't know what they were making. I never asked anyone that I knew that worked at the Pac-12 Network. But to your point, they had to be making a decent amount if they were living in the Bay Area. So... I don't know what the Pac-12 network looked like on the other side. It's like before this all happened, it wasn't a great network, but at least it was like, okay, it was, it was fine for watching games. But what's it going to be after all this? Like, I, I shudder at that thought. I mean, I can have some creative ideas that I actually think are good ideas, but if it's a good idea, it means uh, Larry Scott probably doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> like, I, I, when you're talking through that, I'm just like, find a way to let Bill, Bill Walton narrate the history of the Pac-12 for like two hours a week, and I bet you'd sell advertisers for that. Do you just picture though Larry Scott like they announced these layoffs and stuff, and then he Scrooge McDuck, McDuck's his way into like a pile of coins or something? When he goes home, he's just like, I mean, I, don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I if I'm going to go cartoonish, I just imagine if they really wanted to bail out the Pac-12 network and conference, Larry Scott would just go to a one of those like dunk tank things or like a pie the pie the boss <laughs> in the face, throw a pie at the face thing. 
and just let every Pac-12 fan and uh, and and person associated with the conference <laughs> pay five dollars to take a take a shot. I think I think it would actually solve some of the financial problems. You, you got to think though, and I don't know what Larry Scott's contract is like. I know he's making at least five point three million a year that I've read, and I don't know how long. I think they extended his contract recently, which was just like, oh man, why? But you have to think of that if the conference continues to lose money, the network now, at least at this exact moment, looks like a colossal failure. At some point, these school presidents, when they see what other colleges are getting from their network deals and everything, maybe they do feel compelled to make that change. You know, maybe they look at this and say, Larry Scott has led them to a situation that is not good. And while COVID is not his fault, the fact that they were so ill-prepared for the financial aspect of this, they might place on his shoulders. Who knows? Right. <laughs> I, yeah, it's I, one of the various messes that we need to sift through. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see again. We we feel bad for all the staffers, the Pac-12 Network staffers who lost their jobs. Like, that's a terrible situation to be in. And note that while we say, like, the network itself hasn't been great, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of talented people. You yeah. know, a lot of talented people who did good work there who were probably hamstrung to some degree by the network itself. But I know, like, I'd met quite a few of them and really talented, really good people who did the best they could with what I believe was probably not a great situation to begin with, you know, with that network. So that's just my opinion, of course. I'm sure others may have a different one, but, you know, we feel for them. Hope things, hope they land on their feet soon because it's a terrible situation to be in. But no, I mean, this is not your fault. (laughs) You're not responsible for you losing your job. There's people who make decisions far above you that, their decisions, their mistakes led to this day. Yeah. So, Brett, on that happy note, I feel like we could probably wrap up our show. Um, you know, we'll see what happens in the college sports landscape with Arizona. Obviously, there's going to be more recruiting news down the road. And hopefully next week we'll have even more good COVID-19 news with testing or whatever the season's going to happen. Um, again, our thoughts and, you know, we're hoping for Lute Olson and his family and everything, as we touched on earlier in the show, that we know that, He's in hospice right now, and we'll see, hope for the best there, right? Because we all, we all value Lou Olson and cherish him and what he's done for the Arizona basketball community, University of Arizona as a whole. So, yep. so I guess with that, we will touch on whatever happens over the course of the next week uh, on next week's show. And until then, remember to bear down. Bear down.